Well, good morning. My name is Mike, and this morning we're continuing summer in the Psalms by looking at Psalm chapter 10. So if you brought a Bible, I'd like to encourage you to flip open to Psalm 10, or you can find it, I believe, on page 573 in the Bibles in your pew. 454? 471? Somewhere in the middle, in the chapel, it was definitely 573. Apparently here, it's 470-something. 450 or 4... It's in the middle. It's the 10th one. If you're at 9, you need to go a little bit further. If you're at 12, you need to go back just a smidge. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. All right. Whew. It's good to laugh a wee bit before we get into another lament. I started working at Truro in September of 2015 just about eight years ago. And in just two weeks, we'll be sent, along with some friends, to start a new church called Trinity Church down in Burke. And despite the challenges of the last few years, I am so grateful for this season. It's been a privilege to serve here. So thank you. Now let's turn our attention to the Psalms. My favorite book on the Psalms is a little tiny book, a pamphlet really, by the great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's literally this big. It's tiny. I'd encourage you to pick it up for yourself. Listen to what he says here in the very first chapter about the Psalms. Bonhoeffer writes, we must learn to pray. The child learns to speak because his father speaks to him. He learns the speech of his father. So we learn to speak to God because God has spoken to us and speaks to us. By means of the speech of the Father in heaven, his children learn to speak with him. Repeating God's own words after him, we begin to pray to him. We ought to speak to God, and he wants to hear us, not in the false and confused speech of our heart, but in the clear and pure speech which God has given to us in Jesus Christ. God's speech in Jesus Christ meets us in the Holy Scriptures. If we wish to pray with confidence and gladness, then the words of Holy Scripture will have to be the solid basis of our prayer. For here we know that Jesus Christ, the Word of God, teaches us to pray. The words which come from God become, then, the steps on which we find our way to God. Bonhoeffer will go on to say that the Psalms are the primary way that God teaches us to pray. The way a child learns to speak by mimicking a parent, so we learn to speak to God by praying the Psalms. And one-third of the Psalms are lament. A friend reminded me recently that Job was almost certainly the very first book of the Bible. Suffering, the reality of sin and death and deep brokenness, and the difficulty, understanding the how and the why of it, well, that's been true almost from the beginning. And so God gives us lament, a full one-third of the Psalms teaching us how to talk to God about pain and sin, about suffering and death, about the, the reality of deep and real injustice and brokenness and oppression. 
lament God teaching us how to speak the language that is, for many of us, foreign. In lament, God is teaching us how to tell the truth about the problem of pain. We lie all the time. We lie to ourselves. We, we lie to others. We tell blatant untruths. We tell shady half-truths. We tell lies of omission and lies of misdirection. We lie to God, too, all the time, which is, of course, absurd because he's God, and yet we do it. When we speak to him, we speak in half-truths. We tell lies of omission and misdirection, imagining somehow that he doesn't know. We tell him what we think he wants to hear or what we think will impress others listening in. One of the things that lament helps us to do is to see the truth and then to actually tell the truth. We see that here in Psalm 10, which helps us to tell the truth about how things seem, about how things are, and about how we want God to deal with it. That finally tells us the truth about God himself. First, look with me right here at verse 1. Psalm 10 teaches us to tell the truth about how things seem and about how we feel. Right at the gate, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I mean, this is what it often seems like, isn't it? Like God is far away or hidden or indifferent or dare we even say it, that he lacks the power to actually do something about the suffering and injustice and brokenness in the world. The psalmist says what so many people, religious or not, think or wonder. It's the way it often seems, even to those of us who are Christians, we just don't normally say it out loud. What a way to start a prayer. To say what you actually feel and to feel what you actually say. Like, God, where are you? What are you doing right now? How are you letting this happen? Why does it seem like God is so far away? Well, because the world seems a mess, doesn't it? With all sorts of injustice all around it, all around us. Lament helps us to tell the truth, not just about how things seem or feel to us, but about how things actually are. Look with me at verse 2 and following. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways, they seem to prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet any adversity. I can do whatever I want. His mouth is filled with cursing, deceit, oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. 
He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket that he might seize the poor. He seizes the poor. He draws them into his net. And the helpless are crushed. They, they, they sink down. They fall by the might of the wicked. Wicked says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He will never see what I do. Oh, there is so much pain in the world. There's so much heartache, so much wickedness, so much that isn't right. Unlike Psalm 7, which is the lament I preached on just a few weeks ago, this Psalm isn't about personal suffering. It's about the suffering of others, specifically the poor and the oppressed, at the hands of the wicked. And it's the middle chunk here of the psalm, this big chunk, that teaches us to tell the truth. It teaches us to tell the truth about people who hotly pursue the poor, and even set traps for them, that's verse 2, who boast about what it is they're chasing, who are greedy for gain and have zero interest in God, that's verse 3. Teaches us to tell the truth about those who by their very actions declare there is no God, so why not do whatever is necessary to get ahead, that's verse 4. Teaches us to tell the truth about the one who actually does seem to get what he wants, that's verse 5, who, who thinks things will continue to go his way, lacks any sort of shame or guilt or remorse, that's verse 6, tells the truth about the one whose mouth is filled with deceit and cursing and oppression, that's verse 7, the one who sits in ambush to murder the innocent, that's verse 8. I could go on. The psalm, the psalm does. It teaches us how to talk to God about injustice and suffering it teaches us to talk to God about the plight of the poor, the heartlessness of those who could care less about the disenfranchised. God is teaching us in these words to tell the truth about it. He's giving us language for it. He's teaching us to care. Look, my life is pretty good. By almost any measure, I'm blessed. And one of the privileges of a middle class or upper middle class life in the suburbs is that I don't really have to think about the injustice and oppression in the world very much. That's the point of the suburbs, to hide us from it. I mean, I read about it in the news, and sometimes I'm moved by it, but generally I'm more indifferent than I ought to be. And of that, I repent. This lament, oh, this is why it's so important. Because if we actually pray it, it forces us to speak to God about that which we would often just ignore and push to the side. It, it forces us to pay attention, to open our eyes. And anything that we speak or do or especially pray consistently, it changes us. 
Praying prayers like Psalm 10, it teaches us to speak to God about things that God cares deeply about. And in doing so, it forms us, it reorients us to that which God cares about. And in doing so, it draws us out of our world of half-truths and easy ignorance and into his world. A world where the marginalized and the oppressed aren't ignored at best and pushed further down at worst, but a world where they are seen and loved and where wrongs are made right. But are they seen and loved? That's the, the question our psalm opens with. God, where are you? Do you actually see this? And now here in verse 12, the psalm turns from telling the truth about oppressor and oppressed to telling the truth about how we want God to deal with it all. We move from telling the truth about the oppressed, about the world's injustice, to asking God to do about it. Verses 12 and 15 teach us how to intercede. Verse 12, arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your head. Forget not the afflicted. We're taught to ask God to intervene, to remember the plight of the afflicted, and to do something about it. Verse 13, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see. For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. We're taught as we pray these prayers to remember what God has done and to remind God of what he has done. And then, and then we're taught to tell him the truth about what we want him to do about it. When was the last time you prayed a prayer like this? Verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. We're taught to actually say it out loud, how we we feel to God, to, to tell him the truth, not to bottle it up or ignore it or explain it away, but to actually tell him the truth. We're taught to do that up in verse one. God, why are you so far away? And then we're taught to do it again in verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked. No half-hearted prayers, but the truth about how we feel, about how the wickedness of the world makes us feel, about how we want him to do something about it. He's teaching us how to talk to him. God is teaching us to tell him the truth. He can handle it. It seems he wants to handle it. And then the lament shifts gears in verse 16. We're taught to lift our eyes to God, to, to remember. It's important to note that not every lament ends here, but this one does. We're taught to pray the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. To acknowledge with verse 17 that he, he, he does hear the desire of the afflicted, that he will strengthen their heart, that he will Incline his ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. God is king. Not just then, but now and forever and ever. He outlasts all the nations of the earth and he hears the afflicted. We're taught to pray. He's not far away or absent, even though it may seem that way to us. This is how this psalm teaches us to speak to God, to pray, trusting that God will act 
that God will strengthen the heart of the oppressed, that he will hear them, that he will do justice, even if we can't see it or understand how he'll do it. Now, we don't always end praying a prayer like this feeling satisfied because God doesn't always seem to do what we want. What do you know? Or what we think he should do. God doesn't work on our terms or timelines. And there's no actual solution or answer here in this psalm. There's no magic bullet, no answer to the problem of injustice and oppression and suffering, except for a brief closing declaration of faith, a simple statement of hope. Look, and hear this. The purpose of lament is not mere catharsis. It's not just to make us feel better. It's to teach us how to talk to God when it seems quite clear the world is a mess. And when we feel quite certain that things are not as they should be. And it's to teach us to speak to God about things that matter to God. It's like this. If I were only ever to speak to my wife, Jenny, about hiking and skiing and backcountry adventures and European professional soccer, <laughs> well, I might find those conversations fun, <laughs> but they would be pretty lopsided, especially those conversations about soccer. Our boys just talked Jenny into joining a fantasy well, football league, only it's like proper football, the kind you use your feet for, the English Premier League, and like a good sport, she did it, but she has no idea what's going on. <laughs> if my conversations with Jenny were to center around the English Premier League, those conversations would be lopsided and shallow, right? The same is true with God. Lament teaches us to tell the truth, to go beyond the surface level to the real stuff, to talk with God not just about the, 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 the surface level things that we care about, that, that matter to us, but to speak to God and with God about the things that matter to God, not just to us. And friends, God cares deeply about the poor and oppressed. He cares deeply about those suffering and beaten down. And so he teaches us to speak to him about it. He teaches us to tell him the truth. Lament is one of the primary ways that God teaches us to approach the challenge of theodicy, which is really just a fancy word for uh, the, the study, the, the, the attempt, shall we say, to answer the question, if God is good, then why is there suffering in the world? Have you ever asked this question? Have you ever heard somebody else ask this question? It, it's a big question, and it's an important question. It's a question that haunts many of us, whether we consider ourselves Christians or not. It's the question of Job. Job wants an answer. God, if you're, why is all this happening to me? This doesn't make sense. It isn't right. He wants an answer. We, we all do, right? We ask that question hoping 
As someone can say, well, point one, point two, point three of a thesis with three subpoints, and there it is, neat and tidy. Prayer is rarely neat and tidy, in my experience. And solving the problem of pain isn't the point of a prayer of lament. Nor is a lament uh, designed to distract us from the problem of suffering or, or to offer an explanation for suffering or to help us get it all out so that we can feel better and get on with our lives. And God doesn't teach us to pray like this just as a setup for an answer. It's like this. My wife has a corporate job that I don't really understand, if I'm honest. I mean, I, I get some of it. She designs pay plans. But beyond that, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and from time to time, she'll come home from work, and I'll be preparing dinner or something. Our boys will be making a ruckus, and she'll start telling me about some problem that she's working on solving while I'm chopping and sauteing. And in that moment, I've got a choice, all right? Choice number one, option number one, to half tune out while I continue chopping because it has to get done. I, I got to do the chopping. And, and to respond to her while I'm chopping and sauteing with some strategic mm-hmms <laughs> and interesting. And, oh, that, that sounds really hard. There's a temptation just to, to let her get it out so that then we can get on with it. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. <laughs> Option number two, I could tell her I just don't have time for this. I'm busy. I mean, can't you see what's going on, right? And I don't really understand anyway, so, you know, why don't you, I don't know, figure it out on your own. <laughs> Option number three, I could say, hey, could this wait until later? There's a lot going on right now. Let's get dinner on the table first. Or I could turn towards her, right? I could ask questions. I could engage with her as a person and as my wife, even though I, at best, only half understand what's going on. I think that's part of why we have lament. Because God wants us to pay attention to him and to the world because he wants us to engage with him, to turn towards him, even when we don't really understand, and perhaps especially when we don't understand. He, he, he wants us to tell him the truth. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, wrote a, a wonderful little book called Telling the Truth, which is wonderful. You should read it. Here's what Buechner wrote about God and answers. He wrote, God himself does not give answers. God himself does not give answers. He gives himself. God doesn't give answers, he gives himself. That's the invitation of lament, to, to turn towards God, believing and acknowledging that God has turned towards us. Jesus, of course, was well acquainted with suffering and injustice. Jesus was ambushed and murdered. Jesus would have known and prayed Psalm 10. 
Jesus, the, the very word of God given for us and to us. The word of God who teaches us to pray the word of God. Prayers like Psalm 10. In doing so, he teaches us to look up from our own stuff, the chopping and the sautéing, to turn towards him, to learn to, to speak his language, to care about the things that he cares about, to engage with the one who doesn't always give us answers or make us feel better, but who gives us himself. And in doing so, God helps us to tell the truth. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for these prayers of lament. God, it's so easy to skip over these. I pray that you would teach us to pray the Psalms, all of the Psalms. You would teach us to speak your language to you, to care about what you care about. Would you teach us to, to tell you the truth? And I pray even now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would turn our hearts towards you, bringing you all of our insecurities and doubts and uncertainties, teaching us to intercede well. And I pray, God, that in seeking you, we might find not answers, but you. And I pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.